Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome in, MD Nation. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're back, baby, with the Sunday night and Monday night recap in this morning show. And, of course, the waiver wire report because it's time to start looking forward to the next week, to week four. In some ways, it's almost my favorite part of the week because whether you won, whether you lost, it doesn't matter. It's time to keep chugging, keep being consistent, look for the values, look for the trades, look for the waivers look for the players that are gonna make your team better that's what we're gonna talk about here today of course in the second half of the show as always i'm your host dan mater just me today as it usually is on tuesday nights or tuesday mornings i should say excuse me it's going to be a light waiver wire report i'm going to give you a heads up on that one not too many players to talk about but still some key essential guys to target nonetheless before we get into it though we got to talk about that sunday night game and you know what knock on wood if we can, because I don't have any wood around me. But so far, all the primetime games, when I say primetime games, I'm talking about the Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night. All the primetime games, except for the Thursday night and Monday night game of week three, have all been really great games, which is a lot more than we normally get to this part of the year. So I know week three, two of the three primetime games weren't as great. However, still a lot of things to talk about in the Sunday night and Monday night game. 
And for the most part, we've been getting some really good nail biters, including this one, the Sunday night game between the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers coming out to a game-winning field goal. Aaron Rodgers just doing Aaron Rodgers-like things. 37 seconds left on the clock. That's still too much time. Oh, and if anybody was worried, myself included, at least there were some red flags anyway. I wasn't as worried as most, but anybody was so worried that they didn't look as sharp as you thought they would have against Detroit, at least not early on. I think the Packers are pretty much firing on all cylinders offensively, especially after this matchup. And everybody who you need to be fantasy relevant is being fantasy relevant. I mean, Rodgers didn't have a huge day fantasy-wise. 261 yards, two touchdowns, didn't tackle anything on the ground. But you know that big game is coming because that offense is starting to get going. Aaron Jones has a nice day, of course. 19 carries, 82 yards, gets the touchdown. Tacks on two receptions for 14 yards. I think the biggest surprise there is that A.J. Dillon had just as many targets as Aaron Jones does. I wouldn't count on that happening too often this season. Dillon, though, he's just a backup. This is not a committee. There's no threat of there being committee. Aaron Jones is the workhorse. He only had six carries for 18 yards. And on the snap count, it was pretty much irrelevant. I mean, A.J. Dillon had 18 snaps to Aaron Jones' 45. And it's been like this since week one. All that talk about could A.J. Dillon possibly still goal line carries? Is he going to be worked in? Are they going to actually let Aaron Jones be a bell cow? Are they just going to work in A.J. Dillon the way they work in Jamal Williams, at least in the carry front, first and second down front? Nope. Aaron Jones has been allowed to be the workhorse guy, and Dylan's just there to back him up. Now, Dylan's still a high-value handcuff. I think your hope is that you're the Aaron Jones owner. Because A.J. Dillon was ranked so high, even though he was a backup, there's probably a lot of leagues out there where people own A.J. Dillon and not Aaron Jones, or could say it vice versa. It doesn't matter. There's a decent chance now after three weeks, we're getting into injuries, we're getting closer to bye weeks. The teams that have A.J. Dillon, he might wind up becoming a drop candidate for them to pick up somebody off, off the waiver wire. Just be mindful that as Aaron Jones owner, because the second that becomes available, you need to pick him up. Protect yourself. Jones has had soft tissue injuries in the past, usually not long term, but you want to protect yourself. We saw that with Dalvin Cook this past weekend. Alexander Madison came in, was tremendous. And it was a must have for a Dalvin Cook owner. Again, a guy who's had soft tissue injuries in the past. So just be mindful of that. I think that could be coming in a lot of leagues out there, considering it's been three weeks now, especially these teams who have him are one and two, oh and three. There's a good chance they might start to look to make some moves. So just be mindful of that if you're the Aaron Jones owner. Jump on that opportunity if it presents itself. Devontae Adams was just tremendous in this game. 12 receptions, 132 yards, a touchdown, 18 <laughs> targets. <laughs> The next closest guy was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who picked up a hamstring injury in the game, and he had four targets. That was the next closest guy to Devontae Adams in targets. Oh, and Scantling, by the way, he did have a touchdown in this game, but he's he's irrelevant. This Green Bay Packer offense, for fantasy purposes, is just it's consolidated to Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. You don't care about anybody else. Robert Tanyan will be a streamer here or there. He'll hover around that top 12 territory. He'll have red zone looks. But he's going to be as boom or bust as any tight end from tight end 9 to tight end 16, which is usually what we're looking for out of streaming tight ends. He's going to be anywhere in that range for any given week. This week will be outside of 16, of course, but that's usually going to be his value heading into the week. That doesn't really change here because of the dud game. But I got to go back to Devontae Adams for a second. MD Nation, you may know, my, my home team is San Francisco. 
I and and you also may know if you listen to the Saturday night show when we go over the DFS and our lock bets of the week, my lock bet money line upset of the week was the Green Bay Packers over San Francisco 49ers because I knew we couldn't stop them. Josh Norman got hurt in that game, and even if he was out there, I don't think it would have mattered because it shouldn't take – I saw this meme on Twitter. You know, the 49ers, they miss Robert Salah. Robert Salah misses the 49ers, and it's funny, especially given how the first three weeks have gone. It shouldn't take Robert Salah to have the IQ – high enough on the defensive coaching staff of the San Francisco 49ers to figure out maybe, just maybe, you should be double-teaming Devontae Adams or even cloud-covering Devontae Adams with a underwhelmed secondary and you know who they're trying to go to two with the ball every single time, apparently, when you get 18 targets compared to four being the next highest. It shouldn't take a brain surgeon to figure out you need to at least double him, if not cloud cover him. See how Baltimore tilted towards Tyreek Hill? See how the Chargers tilted towards Tyreek Hill? Uh, there was no tilt to Devontae Adams. It was mind-boggling. It was absolutely mind-boggling what defense the San Francisco 49ers were playing against them. It was tremendous for Adams, who I knew was going to have a great game, and he was a great matchup for him. But it's just laughable. It's, it's, if you're not going to do it during the game, why not do it on the last drive? It's 37 seconds left. There's been one player Aaron Rodgers has been going to the entire game. And you're still playing one cover corner and some safety over the top because they're still going single high safety. It just made absolutely no sense. Why are we not doubling and tripling covering Devontae Adams at least on the last drive when there's 37 seconds? It just it makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But neither here nor there for fantasy football purposes. You'll love it. For Devontae Adams moving forward, nothing to worry about for the Green Bay Packers. Nothing to talk about for the Green Bay Packers. And the 49ers, on the other hand, a few more things that we can get into. Garoppolo is fine. I mean, it, look, he's still not entering that streaming territory. You have guys who have much higher ceilings, higher floor ratios. 49ers, typically speaking, are not a pass-first team, although they had to be in this game because they fell down early. They were down 17 to nothing at one point. It wasn't until a, a nice special teams play. They came back and were able to get that touchdown right before the halftime to make it 17 to seven. But they were down three scores at one point in this game just, just to kick it off. So they weren't able to get the running game going, which ties into Trey Sermon only getting 10 carries, most of which, by the way, came in the second half, believe it or not, if you didn't, if you didn't watch this game, even given the game script. Why? Because the Green Bay Packers pretty much had the ball nearly the entire first half. Because that was the other part of it, too. They they just they grinded out the clock. Their drives went on forever. I believe it was a, a two-to-one ratio as far as time possession after the first half in favor of Green Bay. I mean, they had the ball the entire time. So they were never able to get going offensively. And then you get into the second half, you're down a ton to Aaron Rodgers. You're going to have to throw more than you typically would. Having said that, and Trey Summer, of course, came over with the 10 carries, 31 yards. He gets the touchdown. So if you played him in fantasy football, he kind of saved you with the touchdown there. And we'll just tack on. He had three targets for two receptions and three yards. Kyle Juszczyk played the passing down role for the most part. He came away with four receptions, 37 yards, a touchdown, and four targets. He's still going to be fantasy irrelevant. Elijah Mitchell, this injury wasn't really expected to be more than a week. I mean, I get, he'll still be questionable heading into the week. We'll still have to see if he practices because he didn't practice at all. Uh, heading into week three, we'll see if he can practice in the week four. But the expectation is that he's got a decent shot to come back this week. So I juice isn't going to be a thing moving forward. The key here for me was trying to get a handle on Trey Sermon. Like, okay, game script pretty much took him out of it. He wasn't really able to get into a rhythm. But on the touches he did get, how does he look? 
He had one 16-yard gain where he looked pretty good on, and the touchdown was an impressive run as well. But you take away that 16-yarder, and he's got nine carries for 15 yards. And I go to say this. You got the eyeball test. We watched it in the preseason. This, this stays in line with what I saw in the preseason. If he can't make that one cut and get immediately north and south, things go awry for him. He has zero lateral quickness, zero ability to go east and west and make anything happen. The second he gets knocked off of going north and south, it's over for Trey Sermon. So my point bring that up is this. Unless Elijah Mitchell is out next week, I don't think Trey Sermon took this job back. Because what I saw out there was a player who is very limited in what he could do. Now, when he gets north and south on that nice 16-yard run, he uses his power and he can get explosive when he's getting when he's going in that direction. But if he has to get knocked off of that, if he's got to move laterally in any kind of capacity, it's like watching paint dry. It's that it's that slow. I think Elijah Mitchell might be ahead of Trey Sermon for the rest of the season. Based on the eyeball test and trying to judge the talent and trying to figure out, you know, why, you know, after this guy was clearly the second guy behind Raheem Mostert all preseason, all of a sudden that changed. I think that's what changed. They're just not seeing any explosiveness out of Trey Sermon. Now, that's not to say he's not going to have a role. And that's not to say that if, you know, the entire 49ers backfield is down like it is, he's not going to get his opportunities and he's not a flex worthy RB2 type of back because he would be in the system. And like I said, he wasn't able to get into a rhythm. He is very much a rhythm runner. That, that goes back from Ohio State. He is a guy who gets stronger as the game goes on, typically speaking. He is a guy you want to get 18 to 20 carries to if you are going to have him be your starting running back. So I don't want to put too much into it, but just based on what I saw, I'm trying to help people get out from under before it's too late. He has a touchdown in this one. There's still the possibility he could start in week four, depending upon what's going on with Elijah Mitchell. And even if Mitchell's back, there's still a good chance that Sermon could be the lead carrier. Mitchell could play the passing downs or whatever the Shanahan shenanigans, as I'm going to say all season long, is going to want to do. I may look to take this opportunity, if you held Sermon, to package him with something and try to upgrade trade-wise. That's what I would probably do. I would look to actually package him and try to move out from under because it just didn't look good from an eyeball test when he did have the ball. Now, the Packers defense was flying around. Like I said, I got to give him credit, and I don't want to put too much stock into one game, but I just didn't like what I saw. So that's something, a word of advice for you guys. If you have Trey Sermon, maybe look to trade him while he has the touchdown and has at least some value as it stands right now in case he just never gets the opportunity to take this job. Because remember, Jeff Wilson's still a few weeks away, who we'll talk about in a little while. George Kittle got back on track in this game. Seven receptions, 92 yards on nine targets. That's something they have to do more consistently of, and I think they will. I mean, we know Kittle is too good to be held down forever. He's one of the best tight ends out there, one of the most explosive tight ends out there. They just have to get him the ball consistently. They hadn't done that really the much first two weeks of the season. They do do it here in week three. Devo Samuel had the most targets still. If you played them, you had higher expectations given what this Green Bay defense had shown you. I get it. I understand. Keep in mind, he was the one matched up on Jarrah Alexander for the majority of the night. They still tried to get him the ball the most out of anybody of the wall, the pass catchers. Five catches, 52 yards. Just didn't come with a touchdown. Didn't have the big play. Brandon Ayuk. Now, this is the other big story of San Francisco 49ers, right? Week one craziness. Week two gets the snap count up a little bit. Sherfield's still involved. Week three. People are talking about, like, oh, this is the week that Brandon Ayuk's supposed to go off. 
they made a concerted effort to make sure Brandon Ayuk got a touchdown in that game. He should have had two. He had a really bad drop at the end of the first half when it wound up being the Trey Lance touchdown. If you didn't see it, it should have been a Brandon Ayuk touchdown because he was wide open. Jimmy Grapple hit him both his hands. He just flat out dropped it. So they brought in Trey Lance in on the next play, and he ran in for a touchdown. The big thing you take away is he looked better than he did in week two because week two I was a little bit worried. He didn't look very explosive. Week week three here against Green Bay, he physically he looked better, and the snap count showed that. The snap count showed that, which was the biggest issue of all. He was out there. He was only three less snaps than Debo Samuel. He had 60 snaps and 63. Three less routes run, 42 to 39. The biggest takeaway is Trent Sherfield had two snaps in this game. Muhammad Sanu was by far the third receiver in this matchup, which that is what we expected. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Muhammad Sanu. That's what the top three receivers were expected to be. So I feel like what we saw in that Sunday night game is what we're going to expect moving forward as far as who's the starting three receivers are. So I think you're going to be okay playing Brandon Ayuk. I think he's still nothing more than a low-end wide receiver three right now because you're still not overly impressed. He gets he does get the touchdown, but you're not overly impressed with the four reception for 37 yards and six targets in a game in which the 49ers had to throw the ball more than they typically would want to do. You're not going to be overly impressed by that, but the playing time was there. The effort to get him the ball was there. So things will continue to get better as they continue to ramp up, I believe, moving forward. I still believe Aaron Ayuk is very good after the catch. still a very explosive receiver. And I still think him, Debo, and George Kittle can all eat within this offense. So I think you're going to look at him. He's going to start to creep back up there. Low-end wide receiver three, maybe a high-end wide receiver four for now, but he's getting the snap counts. And when they have plus matchups, like against Seattle, he's going to be a guy that we talk about as a potential play in your flex or as your third receiver. But he's back on that category. So if you draft Aaron Ayuk and you were panicked, I'm glad you held him, and things are looking, I think, better from here on moving forward. That's the good news. All right, so now let's get into the Monday night game, right? Which was a complete debacle from the Philadelphia Eagles standpoint of view anyway. Uh, all Dallas, all the time. <laughs> 41, to four, uh, 41 to 21, excuse me. Forgot about the garbage time touchdown there, which was probably big for a lot of fantasy owners out there who were playing Jalen Hurts, and maybe they were playing Jalen Rager, or, or, well, they probably weren't playing Greg Ware, so maybe they're playing Jalen Hurts. Uh, that last touchdown might have won some people some leagues. Garbage time points always matter, and even if Jalen Hurts winds up being the garbage time quarterback, that's all you really care about, because from a fantasy standpoint, he was still decent. You didn't, you didn't lose your matchup because of Hurts. 326 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 35 yards on the ground, and he didn't play particularly well. In fact, I take that back. He played horrible. He really did. He he looked terrible out there. But he can still put up that kind of stat line given the state of this Philadelphia Eagles team, which is not good, which can still be fantasy productive for you. And more most games, he's going to give you more than 35 rushing yards on the ground. More times than not. They got a match against Kansas City next week. He'll still be in my top 10 of quarterbacks. No doubt about it. Don't freak out. If you're a Miles Sanders owner, okay, I get it. Two carries, 27 yards, three receptions, 28 yards on four targets. You're thinking, well, in this game, you know, okay, fine. They got down early. They were looking to run. At least give me some receptions. You're still expecting more than two carries, I think, out of a starting running back who didn't get hurt in a game eat two, no matter how bad it's going. Look, Dallas, kind of similar to what the Green Bay did, they dominated the the time of possession in the first half. 
And the Eagles just had a completely, I mean, they completely abandoned the running game in the second half. It was, it was non-existent. They were trying to get back into the game. You, I, I would say this. I am, I feel pretty good about the idea that against Kansas City next week, they will make an effort to make sure they don't completely abandon the run the way they just did. Because really, for this offense to function, you had to go back to week one against Atlanta. Now, I know that was Atlanta, but not looking at the production of what they had against Atlanta, looking at the play calling. The offense got going and got comfortable once they established read option run. Not not RPO, not read option pass, but read option run. Where you're just, all you're doing, you're either way, whether it's Hertz or whether it's Sanders, you're running the football. Establish the run and then did RPO, then did play action off of that. Last two weeks now, once San Francisco in week two, and now this week against Dallas, completely got away from that. That's the offense they have to run in order for them to be the most efficient they are. That'll lead to Devonta Smith having bigger games. Three catches, 28 yards, not what you're hoping for on Monday Night Football, but still six targets. So week one, eight targets. Week two, seven targets. Week three, six targets. Now, I know that sounds like it's trending in the wrong direction, but ultimately, it's still a healthy amount of targets. This was the first game that Rager out-targeted him. He had eight in this game, five receptions, 53 yards. Devontas is still the number one guy. He was Diggs was matched up on both guys, but Diggs was matched up on Smith more than he was matched up on Jalen Rager. That led to this. By the way, Diggs is a tremendous corner. He's going to be known as a number one shutdown corner pretty soon. That That's going to happen. So when you go up and play against Dallas and you get the number one receiver, depending on who it is, I don't know how much I'd be licking my chops necessarily, at least not at the moment anyway. Not with the way Diggs is playing. He's playing tremendous. But I'm not worried about Devonta Smith moving forward. He's still the number one receiver. He's still got some good wide receiver three value to him as a result of that. Eagles will still be in game scripts, I think, more so like this. Maybe not as bad, but more so like this where they're having to come back from behind in the second half. That'll lead to more pass attempts out of Jalen Hurts. I think you're fine with Devonta Smith as a wide receiver three moving forward. It doesn't, this doesn't change anything in my book for that. The other question, of course, the other comment is the tight ends. I mean, Dallas Goddard, he has two receptions, 66 yards on four targets. Zach Ertz, seven targets in this game, four receptions, 53 yards. He comes away with the touchdown. Goddard should have had a bigger game. He had a bad drop. He had a couple catches that got called back through the penalty. So he really should have had a bigger game in this one. The fact is this, though, both Ertz and Dallas Goddard are just going to be splitting 50-50. They're, they're nearly splitting the targets. They're splitting the routes run. They're splitting the snaps. They're both going to be out there. They're both going to be utilized. The thing is, I still think you can use Goddard, and to a lesser degree, I think Ertz might be creeping his way closer to that top 16 tight end area, which take it for what you will. But I think Goddard's still got to be considered more of a top 12 tight end than not. Uh, because this offense, while Rager got involved here, typically speaking, has still been consolidated down to Devonta Smith and the two tight ends for the most part with Jalen Hurts. So being that you don't have a ton of other options, I still think he's considered more of a top 12 tight end moving forward than not. But just he won't be a top eight, top seven, you know, a guy who could have that kind of potential as long as Zach Ertz is hanging around. And, you know, vice versa. I don't think Zach Ertz can be considered a top 12 tight end if Dallas Goddard's still hanging around. But something to keep your eye on. If you're looking for tight ends, Zach Ertz might be an idea pickup. I know this is supposed to be a waiver wire report show. He's not on my waiver wire report. So that he's not a guy that I'm looking to go after. Something would have to shake out between him and Goddard before we can really dive in on either one of them. But Goddard's still the guy I'm going to own. 
and will still play him based on matchups if I can. Not changing on that. On the other side, the Dallas Cowboys were humming. We're humming. Now, you know, I'll start with the disappointing because we just got them in the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a lot of disappointing talk. We'll finish this point talk. That way we can finish this, this thing off with positive talk before we hit the waiver wire report. The disappointment was the receivers. CeeDee Lamb, only three receptions, 66 yards on three targets. Amari Cooper, three receptions, 26 yards on four targets. Look, again, this came down to game script. They were up early or up big. They controlled this game. And the running game, which typically the Philadelphia, this is why I thought this game actually might have a chance to be close. Typically, the Philadelphia Eagles are very good against the run. The Dallas Cowboys manhandled them. They did. Their offensive line completely manhandled the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles. They did. And the running game was tremendous. I mean, they came out in that first half. They were just, they were running the ball over and over and over again. Ezekiel Elliott finishes the game with 17 carries for 95 yards and two touchdowns. Also tacked on three receptions for 21 yards on three targets. And then Tony Pollard didn't have the big game he had a week ago, but 11 carries, 60 yards, one reception, five yards. I think he's somebody who's got to be a flex play. There's two games in a row now where he's had double-digit touches. It's clear they have a role in for him. Now, in this game, they gave him a... They gave him a couple series. They gave him more, most of his work came in the first half. In the second half, they turned the ball over to Zika Elliott to grind it out and wind down the clock and run out the game. That's going to continue to happen. That, that's going to continue to happen. But in games that are neutral game script, I think Tony Pollard is going to get his series once every two series of Zeke. That's what it seems like is breaking down over the last two weeks. Even in this game, in the beginning, Ellie got out there for two series, and then Pollard got a series on that third one. And then they sprinkle him in here and there to give Zeke a breather, you know, when need be. But that's a rotation that seems like it's starting to get worked into. If we can start to actually pinpoint that consistently happening, we're going to be able to pinpoint exactly what Tony Pollard is going to be expected to get every single week, and we're going to be talking about him in the flex conversation more times than not. That is what I, I mean, it makes him one of the top handcuffs to own, of course, He's mostly owned out there. He's over 50% owned. He's probably not available in your leagues. But he is somebody you can start to play in the flex or as a spot start if you need be by because of injury or upcoming bye weeks. He's going to be an option for you. So just kind of keep that in mind moving forward. Don't be afraid to play him if you know you don't have a lot of great options at the flex position that particular week. Both were very, very efficient in this game. Zeke looked great in this game. He really did. He looked, And he's been getting stronger as the season's gone on thus far from week one to week two and now to week three. He looks like he's been getting even better and better. Uh, Dak didn't have to do a lot in this game, but he did still get you the three touchdown passes, 238 yards. He only had 26 attempts, 21 of 26. He played, he played great. He played great NFL quarterback, and the three touchdowns still gives you a solid fantasy performance. Two of them, by the way, going to Dalton Schultz. Six receptions, 80 yards, two touchdowns on seven targets. And Blake Jarwin also targeted two times, 14 yards, two targets. Now, it does seem as far as receiver goes, Dak was looking Dalton Schultz's way quite a bit. Now, was that due to game scripts, the play calling? You know, everyone's going to ask themselves, well, why Why exactly is that? Is there something that we can, can we anticipate that Dalton Schultz is going to be ahead of Blake Jarwin for most of the year, in which case that would make him another streaming tight end option, which is what everybody's looking for. I would lean towards yes, because while they played about the same snaps for, for the most part for the first couple of weeks here, 
Schultz has been getting a little bit more targeted, and Dak Prescott just seems to want to look to him a little bit more and just seems a little bit more explosive. Now, I'm still not going to totally trust it. It's still ultimately a dart throw if you want to go to Dalton Schultz because keep in mind here, the wide receivers weren't very involved. And I don't think there's going to be too many more games this year where C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper are combining for seven targets. That's not, that's not going to happen very often with this team, with the way it's built. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world! Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. So I would look at this as more of a aberration. This is definitely going to be Dalton Schultz's best game of the year. He's not going to top it with the two touchdown performance. There's no way. Six catch, 80 yards, two touchdowns. He's not going to top that. But we will keep our eye on this because he could be a future streaming tight end if he continues to operate ahead of Blake Jarwin as far as target share goes. Because this is an offense that's still going to put up a lot of points. So let's keep that in mind, too. Here's what I want to do. I want to get a word in from our sponsor. I want to come back on the other side. We're going to break down that waiver wire report for you guys. Please stay tuned on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back right after this. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com. For 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back, MD Nation. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We are going over the Sunday night, Monday night recap, which we just did in the beginning of the show. Now, we have the waiver wire report. Now, that's right. We officially put week three to bed. We look forward to week four. 
And here's what I want to say. Well, actually, first, we're streaming to you live on social media at Billy of MDFF Show. And, of course, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel that you should be subscribing to. Make sure to check us out afterwards on your favorite pod streaming app. And from 6 to 7 tonight on Tuesday, we will be on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Here's what I want to say to all the people out there who are 1-2 and and 0-3 and that are part of MD Nation. Don't panic. I know you're going to hear that a lot from fantasy experts, but don't panic. There's a reason. When you're 0-3 and 1-2, and you start reacting very severely emotionally. And I get it. I have a lot invested in my leagues too, and I hate it when I'm below 500. Especially hate it when you start at the beginning of the year and you don't have a win yet in a particular league. But when you panic and you make trades, roster decisions based off of pure emotion, based off of what they're looking like right now and not remembering that it's a long season. And this year it's longer than it ever has been. Remember, you have 14 regular season games now. You have that extra game. There's still time for you to come back at 0-3. Don't abandon ship. Now, if you have moves that can be had and you can upgrade, then take advantage of those moves. But be the one buying low. Don't be the one selling low, please. If you feel like you need to sell high on somebody who has been performing well for you because now you're lean at a running back or wide receiver position due to injury or just lack of play, and it's not, it is a situation that you're not confident is going to turn a corner, then sell high. But do it from a calm, cool perspective, please. Please do. This is what's going to help you win. This is what's going to help turn your season around and help you be on your way to still have a chance to win a championship. You ain't out of the water yet. There's a lot of season to be played. We have no idea what's going to happen. Stay the course. Keep trying to get better every single week. We'll tell you who to buy low on or who to go after. And we're going to help you out with the waiver wire report now. But just don't panic. That's my big thing I want you guys to keep remembering. Don't panic. Other people who are in your league who are 1-2 and 0-3, they're reacting, they're emotional, take advantage of them. That's what you do. That's how you turn the corner. But let's start off with the waiver wire report. And I usually do this in by position, but today I just slapped the guys together that I thought were still worth a mention, worth a waiver pickup, because it's not as long of a list as it has been first two weeks of the year, which to be expected at this point, people are starting to pick up on who they need to go get. But there's still some value out there. Latavius Murray, on average, throughout all the major platforms, is only 45% owned. Now, keep in mind here, before we get all excited about Latavius Murray out carrying Tyson Williams a week ago, that game was very, very weird against the Detroit Lions. 19-17, Ravens couldn't run the ball. This, like Everything you would expect from that game was like, the, it was like the polar opposite, basically, in that game. Tyson Williams still way out-snapped Latavius Murray. So while Murray had the better production, he had the more carries, he's been the goal line back up until this point, Williams has still played like he was ahead. He just didn't happen to get the carries in that game. So I wouldn't look too much into that. So don't pick up Latavius Murray with the idea that you have to lead back down for Baltimore, but pick up Latavius Murray with the idea that you have a guy who is a touchdown potential play every single week, and if you need a flex play, he can be that guy. Pretty much saying, don't waste a priority on him. Don't spend fab budget on him. 
He's a guy that if you can pick up after the waiver's clear, go ahead. Because he's still not the lead running back, but he does have some value. I'm not wasting resources on this guy, though. He doesn't have a high upside ceiling. Even if something were to happen to Williams, we'll see Devonta Smith get uh, Devonta Freeman get rolled in there. Maybe we'll even see a Le'Veon Bell appearance. But Latavius Murray just does not look explosive at all, period. So I don't think there's much upside there with him. So don't get carried away. Evan Ingram's on my list. Now, I didn't think he was going to make my waiver wire report because I don't like Evan Ingram in this Jason Garrett offense with Daniel Jones. Having said that, injuries can change a lot of things. Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton both go down with hamstring issues. I would be very shocked if either one played in week four. I think there's a decent chance they both can wind up missing week five and maybe more. So now all of a sudden the targets got real consolidated real quick because you had guys like CJ Board out there, Colin Johnson getting work. Kadarius Tony played a lot of snaps, but didn't really see the ball go his way. Kenny Galladay, his target share didn't wind up going up at all as he's dealing with a hip issue, which is alarming dealing considering what happened to him a season ago when he had a hip issue. So that has to get taken into consideration as well. So Evan Ingram might find himself in a situation where he's going to get more targets than he was originally set up to do. And if you are looking for tight ends with a pulse, which there's going to probably about the back quarterback third of everybody's league. There is those, those are the teams they are looking for a tight ends with pulses. He could be that guy. And on average, he's 32% owned. Now it's not going to last all season. Shepard will be back. Eventually Slayton will be back. Eventually Barkley got way more involved in the passing game this past week. I suspect that would continue at least to some degree. So at some point, Evan Ingram is still going to have a lot of targets taken away from him. Again, I wouldn't play a priority on him. I wouldn't waste fat budget on him. You're only looking at him if you need a tight end to possibly stream with. He could be a guy in the medium who has a target share headed his way. Next guy is KJ Osborne on my list. He's 28% on on average. It's a big jump from what he was last week. And I know he had a bad game. I know he didn't have the gaudy, you know, stat numbers he put up week one and week two. And I know people, you know, recency bias quickly come off of guys who don't have an established history, you know, because of that. Remember, go back to my episode from Sunday night or, you know, Sunday morning if, or Monday morning if you guys listen to it on the pod streaming app, but Sunday night was live. We talked about how Tyler Conklin was shockingly involved. It's seven catchers, 70 yards, and a touchdown in that game. It was because Conklin was so involved that K.J. Osborne was not. But what has been the long history of the Minnesota Vikings since Mike Zimmer and A. Kubiak has been calling the plays? They haven't utilized a tight end, at least not consistently. I don't look at that Conklin game and think to myself that Tyler Conklin's going to be that involved moving forward every week. I look at it as that was a one-time aberration game where Conklin happened to have the matchup and they went to him with it. KJ Osborne has proven to be an explosive receiver who's physical. And it wasn't the extra targets that Justin Jefferson got, in my mind, that took away from KJ Osborne. It was Tyler Conklin, who I don't expect to be involved every single week. In fact, I expect him to go back to what he was doing the first two weeks, more times than not, which is getting maybe two to four targets. So Osborne is still a boomer bust wide receiver four with some value. This is still a bad Minnesota Viking defense when they play against some of these other offenses that are really good, which they will do quite a bit of this season. 
you have some real upside for shootouts. So KJ Osborne is still somebody I think you can go ahead and pick up because he's been on the waiver wire for a few weeks at this point in your leagues. If he's not been picked up already, I don't think you should be using resources on him. But again, somebody I want to keep an eye on. Kenneth Gainwell. I feel like Kenneth Gainwell is going to be on my waiver wire report every single week until he's finally over 50% owned. He is one of the top handcuffs to own right now. He's only 28% owned on average. He like I keep, I keep saying this every week. Eyeball test tells me he looks like he is every bit as talented as Miles Sanders and probably more explosive. Now, until something happens to Sanders, he's not going to go ahead of him. But Kenneth Gainwell is somebody who gets worked in. I wouldn't be surprised if we hit a point, even if Sanders doesn't get hurt, that Kenneth Gainwell can be talked about as a flex option in PPR, full-point PPR leagues only, but could be an option there. I would be surprised if we get to that point at some point this season. And Miles Sanders has not been a model of staying healthy. So Kenneth Gainwell is a top handcuff to own. He's a lottery ticket, even if you don't have Miles Sanders. And if you have Miles Sanders, I don't know why you wouldn't make room for Kenneth Gainwell. Now, after this game, you could say, well, what does it matter to owning any Philadelphia running back? Which I could say, you know, touche. It was a bad, it was a bad game. That's not going to be the case. This this offense ultimately will have to get back to it and will be identified by RPO, where they need the running game to work in order for the passing game to do so. We're going to see them make that course correction, I believe, against Kansas City, or at least attempt to anyway. Gainwell's a, a top guy. And again, because he's been out there for a few weeks. And because of the bad game by the Philadelphia Eagles in the Monday night game, I don't think you have to spend any resources for him. I don't think you have to spend a priority. I don't think you have to spend fad budget on. Let's get to a guy who is the number one waiver claim on the week. We'll throw him here in the middle just to kind of mix it up on you guys. But it's obvious in everybody's eyes. That's Shuba Hubbard. Now, yes, this is a guy that you will spend resources on. No matter what your situation, whether you have Christian McCaffrey or not, I will use a number one waiver priority on Shuba Hubbard, even if it means. He's only going to be the starter for two weeks. Because remember, Christian McCaffrey didn't go in the IR. The reason they put him on the IR is because the idea is he'll be back within three weeks. So figure in their minds, he's back by at least week six with a shot in week five. I would say 90% that he's going to be out for week four. I think there's a more than 50% chance Hubbard is the starter of week four and week five with McCaffrey maybe coming back week six. Hubbard's something I want to own. Now, look, I don't think he's going to be the most efficient runner between the tackles here. But he has the speeds. And when they run these outside zone plays, he does very well in those. He did very well in those in the college. That's why he had the big gaudy numbers, because he has the speed and he does well on outside zone. He was the guy. I mean, Royce Freeman didn't looked very unexplosive, but he was the guy. They let him catch the ball. They had him run the targets. He had the majority of the carries. He played well ahead of Royce Freeman. The only thing I'd be worried about when it comes to Hubbard and Freeman is Freeman maybe getting that red zone role. I could see that potentially happening. But if Hubbard plays well, he might not even get that. So you definitely need a priority on him. Now, how much fab do you use on him? For a guy that, again, you're maybe looking at a two-week window, and it's very, very questionable if it's more than that, at least for, for now. Unless McCaffrey hurts himself again, which, you know, knock on wood, hopefully not. I think if you're the McCaffrey owner, you want to make sure you get Hubbard. 
after the calf injury last year, dealing with a hamstring injury now, he was the first pick for you overall. If you hadn't had Hubbard on your team already, I think you want to make sure you have him. In which case, I'm going to spend between 15 and 20% of my fad budget to make sure I get Chuba Hubbard if I'm the Christian McCaffrey owner. That's more about knowing your league. If you know your league tends to spend a little bit more money, even on guys who might only start for a week or two, then you might have to look 20, potentially 25. But if you're the McCaffrey owner, you need to make sure you get Hubbard. If you're not the McCaffrey owner, I would probably look to spend 10 to 15. I would contemplate playing 10 10 to 15 because I think you do have two weeks of an RB2 at the least on your hands who's going to have a good amount of work and because of his speed has big play potential. Don't be surprised if he's inefficient. Don't be surprised if he's a little bit frustrating, but he has the big play. He can take any one of his touches to the house and will get a good amount of work, making him an RB2 with upside for at least a week, I think probably two. So that's worth 15%, 10 to 15% of your fab budget for me. Again, the reason why I say don't go more aggressive than that, if you don't have Christian McCaffrey, is because you know McCaffrey should be back within three weeks. I really don't like to spend big chunks of my fab budget unless it's for a guy who's going to help me out for at least half the season, if not the full season. Otherwise, I try to just look for value plays here and there. But that's where I would be at with Chuba Hubbard, whether you have McCaffrey or whether you don't. Here's another guy who needs to be more owned, and maybe after this Sunday he will, Tim Patrick. Now, he did go. he's another guy who increased. He was at 1%. I think last week he's gone up to 14% on average. That, that's a good jump. We need to get that higher, though. K.J. Hamler tore his ACL. He's done for the year. So now you have the prospects of Tim Patrick is actually going to be a viable option for you all season. Because even when Jerry Judy comes back, Patrick will still get to play that third receiver role. And what I foresee happening for a team that plays a lot of three receiver sets is having Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick on the outside and Jerry Judy gets to come in and play the slot. So Patrick's going to be out there in three receiver sets for the rest of the season. He's always been productive when he's given the opportunity as a wide receiver three, safe floor wide receiver four at the very least. It was good this past week against the Jets. Again, he always gets the opportunity. If you have a plus matchup, Tim Patrick can be played in your flex, can be played as a wide receiver three in these plus matchups. So own him. He's a valuable piece to have. Same that goes with Christian Kirk. He's had two good games out of three now. The A.J. Green thing is a farce. He The five catches for 112 yards he had against Jacksonville, that will not happen again this season. And the big thing while everybody's going gaga over Rondale Moore, and, you know, rightfully so. He's a great player. He's explosive. He's exciting to watch when he, has, when he does get the ball in his hands. Kirk is playing ahead of him, even with A.J. Green on the field. Even if they wind up usurping A.J. Green, Kirk will still play more snaps, more routes run, ultimately, than Rondale Moore. Still an up-tempo offense that throws the ball first. Christian Kirk, a 22% own, is a joke. He has more, he's, he's right along the line with Tim Patrick as far as the overall value goes, as far as what his role is, right? Wide receiver three, maybe a, a boomer bust wide receiver four flex play. But he's got more upside. He's got more big play potential than a Tim Patrick does, making him more valuable in my eyes. Kirk is somebody who definitely should be, especially talking 12-man leagues here, He's somebody who should be owned. He's a nice, valuable piece to be able to plug and play in certain matchups and know that you know you got a shot for him to go off. You have a shot for him to have a good game, especially in this offense, especially the way he's playing now this year. 
Now we get the more speculative ads after this. That's why this is so short. Rashad Bateman, 7% owned on average. He's a speculative ad. I'm not saying go out there and get him. You're definitely not spending resources on him in redraft leagues. But I'm curious to see. Sammy Watkins has been okay. Marquise Brown's been very, very good. I do wonder if Rashad Bateman comes in in a couple weeks. Maybe he overtakes Sammy Watkins, and maybe he's much more productive and much more explosive than Sammy Watkins is. The Ravens are trying to throw the ball a little bit more. That much is obvious, and that offense still has a lot of untapped potential overall. We still have not seen the best of that offense yet. We have not. Not even close. So he is a speculative ad for me if you're just looking for a lotto ticket down the road. But only if you have the space for it. If you have a back, if your if your team's really two and one, three and zero, and you got a really strong team, a really strong bench, and you have a back end spot that you can kind of burn a little bit because he's going to be coming off the IR, so you're not going to be able to stash him there. If you have that, then that's what I'm looking at. Rashad Bateman is a speculative ad, but there's still it's still going to probably be a while before he really gets worked into the rotation, and there's still a low floor there. Jeff Wilson, I talked about him last week. I'm going to talk about him again. His ownership did go up a little bit, but he's still only six percent owned on average. I just talked about how Trey Sermon from the eyeball test honestly didn't look that great to me. I would not be shocked if Jeff Wilson overtook Trey Sermon the second he comes back off the pup list. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me if Jeff Wilson wound up being the lead back the rest of the way because Elijah Mitchell may not be able to hold up under the workhorse role. He's a guy you can keep stashed in your IR spot right now. So if you have that available to you, I don't think there's any reason not to just own and stash a Jeff Wilson and see what happens in a few weeks if you have the capability of doing so. The last guy who has some value for me heading into week four that I'm not spending any resources on. Again, other than Chuba Hubbard, I don't think I'm spending any resources on anybody this week. But the last guy I want to talk about here is James Washington. Only 1% owned on average. Now, Deontay Johnson, maybe he comes back week five. But remember, he didn't practice at all last week. He's going to have to get back there out out there on the practice field. And even if he is back, Juju Smith-Schuster most likely will be out for week four with his injury. Maybe even week five after that as well. So I think one way or another, come week four, James Washington will be at least the third receiver for the Steelers which is, if, if you can't count anything else, you know that Ben's going to get the ball out of his hands quickly and they're still going to throw it first and run second. So half point, full point PPR leagues, you're still going to get the kind of volume you need for him to have a floor. Now, I don't know how many players you're going to get down the field, if any, but if he's going to be worked into the rotation in a significant way because of injury, he's somebody who has a nice, safe floor, I think, in half point, full point PPR leagues. And if Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster are both out and he's the number two receiver, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually got targeted more than Chase Claypool. They would both get double-digit targets in this scenario. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got targeted even more than Chase Claypool because he would still be the one out of the two running the more shorter intermediate routes, which clearly, after watching Najee Harris get 19 targets, is where Ben Roethlisberger is still trying to go with the ball right around the line of scrimmage. So James Washington, a very interesting pickup for me this week. But yeah, outside of Hubbard, I'm not breaking the bank this week for really anybody. That's going to do it for the show, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. We'll be back. Remember, this week we're at a special time on Thursday from 9 to 11 a.m. 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on social media at BillyUpMDFF Show and on the YouTube channel and the MD Spanish Football Show channel. Please subscribe. 
We're going to preview all of week four. I'm going away this weekend. So that's why I can't be around on Friday and on Saturday. So that's why we're previewing the entire week four on Thursday in a two-hour special. There will still be the MD's DFS show on Saturday night. Chris is just going to host it. And Chaz Flory is going to be on for the full hour instead of just a half hour. I'll take this time to mention too. After that, starting on Monday night, the following Monday night, so Monday night heading into coming out of week four, heading into week five next week, next Monday, we're going to have a whole new schedule. My day job is changing. Therefore, the schedule of this show has to change because with the hopefully with the continued support of you at MD Nation, maybe eventually this will become my day job and then I can work around your schedule. But for now, it's got to work around my schedule. So my schedule dictates it's going to have to be a Monday through Friday show. It's going to be Monday night through Friday night, basically. So we're moving all nights. We're not going to be available during the day on Thursday and Friday like we were from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. It's going to be all at night. I don't have set times yet. The idea is that about it's going to be 9.30 at night, 9.30 to 11 p.m., 9.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. on the East Coast on Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday will be 8.30 to 10, and then Friday night will be 9 to 10. So I'll just run through you down real quick if you're because you're, I want to make sure you guys get all the information. And we're going to post this out on social media too. Don't worry. We're going to keep you up to date. But basically, Monday night will be the Sunday recap like we kind of do now. We do like a week two Sunday afternoon recap. That's what, you know, that's what it's going to be on Monday night. We'll still have the show on Tuesday at lunch. That's the only day show we're going to do. So Tuesday from 12 to 1 p.m., we're going to have the primetime recaps, so the Sunday night and the Monday night recaps, along with the waiver wire report. That's going to be available to you guys again from 12 to 1 p.m. on Tuesday. Make sure we're getting that out to you guys. And, of course, all these episodes will be available in your favorite posturing app for you guys to listen to whenever you get the chance. Wednesday will be the Thursday night and early Sunday afternoon preview games. So that will be on Wednesday night. And that the plan is for that to either be from 9.30 to 11 p.m. or from 9 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., depending. But that's the plan for that. Thursday will be the preview for the late Sunday, Sunday night, and Monday night games. And it will be, we're going to call it a Thursday night game, game cast, basically, is what we're going to call it. So essentially, we're going to be doing that show while the Thursday night game is going on. If something big happens during the Thursday night game, a big play, an injury, touchdown, we're going to react to it while we're on air. Chris and I, that is. We'll react to it while we're on air. And then at the end of the show, we'll recap the Thursday night game, at least to the point that we're at at that point in the show. Ending, and that, that one will most likely be from 8.30 to 10. And we'll just recap the Thursday night game up until that point. And again, if anything happens after that, we'll always keep you up to date, which is why you should be following us on social media at BellyUpMDFF Show. Then last but not least, Friday from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., that'll be the MD's DFS contest show. We'll go over our DraftKings lineup cards. We'll have Chaz Florida on and go over our lock bets of the weekend. So it's going to be Monday through Friday content. And then on the weekends, of course, you always hit us up on social media. If you have any fantasy football questions, we'll have our rankings getting up to date on bellyfantasysports.com throughout the weekend as well. So all it is is a shift. We're not losing any episodes. We're still five times a week. 
We're still going to be available on the Unhinged Sports Radio Network. We're just shifting the times and when. So we'll be on primetime every single night during the week. And then we'll be there for you guys on the weekends on social media for you guys to hit us up and go to BellUpFantasySports.com for the rankings. So I know there's a lot of information just throughout you guys. I'll remind you guys again on Thursday. I'll remind you guys again on social media. But in the meantime, everyone take care. Get those waivers in. Let's look forward to another good or even better week four. And everybody stay tuned. And we'll see you guys again on Thursday morning from 9 to 11. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.